Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. Before we get started, I have the usual reminders. Weekdays at 8am Mountain Time, you can watch me live stream my Days Gone playthrough. I take on hordes, talk shit about rippers, and lay waste to ambush camps, all before I've had my morning cup of coffee. You can find me on my YouTube channel, 8-Bit Terror. You can get your Days Gone-inspired merchandise at daysgonepodcast.threadless.com. There's tees, tanks, stickers, pins, notebooks, mugs, art prints, and more, and it all ships internationally, so you can rep your love of the game all around the world. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. As a film and TV actor, he's been in Battlestar Galactica, Being Human, The Mist, Dexter, Supergirl, and The Walking Dead, to name just a few. In video games, he played Maul and Palpatine in the Star Wars Battlefront games, Starkiller in The Force Unleashed, Captain Ferris in The Callisto Protocol, and in Days Gone, he is the one and only leading man, Deacon St. John. It is my great pleasure to welcome the amazing Sam Whitworth to the podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy guy. No, I, it's, it's my pleasure. I've, um, I, I have not heard all of the episodes of the show, but I've heard enough um, to really appreciate how thoughtful uh, you are in the analysis of, the, of Days Gone. Oh, thank you for saying that. I mean, Days Gone, you probably heard me say on the podcast before, it's literally changed my life. It's something I'm very passionate about. And uh, honestly, I can't believe this is going to be episode 48. I can't believe I've managed to get almost 50 episodes out of just one single video game. It's such a niche podcast, but there is so much to say about Days Gone. I think There's it's a real testament a, to the game. Yeah. And, and and you're definitely finding some really intelligent ways to say them. Like you, you're, you, you've blown my mind on a few occasions where I'm like, whoa, I, I didn't even think about that. Wow. That's crazy. I'm going to steal that, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. And, you know, and, 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 you know, the reason I haven't listened to all of the episodes is I started feeling rather egotistical just by, <laughs> by listening to them. Cause I'm like, Wait a second, you know, I, I feel like I'm being, you know, we're all being congratulated too much. I need to listen to, to other podcasts as well as ra- rather than just one that makes me feel this good. So thank you for, for uh, your very kind words. Thank you. Well, I mean, if you want, we can just talk about how much you suck and how terrible you are and what there a you shit go. job be you've like, done. Yeah. You know, be a little bit like John Garvin where you, where you balance it, you know, he would come up to me after a take and be like, okay, so um, uh, why did you do it that way? <laughs> which is great <laughs> which is by the way i you know when i learned that john garvin what he meant by that was no why why did you do it that way i want to know please explain it to me because i'm going to now send you in a different direction but if there's something here of value i don't want to miss it why did you do it that way that was literally you know when i learned that you take john john has is is a guy who does not have a filter which is why he was exactly the right guy to write days gone you know, he's just, a, you know, you need that. You can't for this, uh, you know, biker in the post-apocalypse, the, the voicing would be all wrong if you had someone who was uh, super concerned about how they were coming across or how they were, uh, you know, transmitting things. But John 
has a very honest way <laughs> and a very straightforward way. And he's not necessarily always going to say it in the way that people are, you know, <laughs> happy with. And when I learned that, uh, we got along great. How long did it take you to to figure out that's what he was saying? A little less than a year. <laughs> it, it took yeah. me, but there were other things going on that got in the way of me enjoying the project as much as I could have for that first year. Because the first year was rather, I don't know, upsetting. And then the next three years were so much fun. And it was simply, it was all a matter of understanding. Because for me, um, you know, we would shoot something in a certain way. And then we would come back and we'd shoot a very similar scene that was a rewritten version of that scene, but we shoot in a different way. Or then we'd shoot another scene in a totally different way. And I couldn't see how this was all coming together. I was like, it's going to be my face. I don't know that I have a handle on the character. John is making it clear that that we haven't arrived yet in terms of who this character is. And all of this, this tonality is all over the place. What the hell is going on? And eventually... John and I had this discussion where he's like, you know, you realize we've budgeted some experimentation, right? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, not these things aren't necessarily going to go in the game just like this. We're going to figure out a tone when we land on the tone. And when Sony approves that tone, then we're going to go full bore on that tone. And the things that we shot that don't work with that, we're reshooting. And I was like, oh, so we're just messing around. He's like, yeah, we're messing around. I'm like, okay, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Let's do that. Because, you know, where I come from. That's not how it works. Where I come from, you're on set and you're shooting and whatever you shot is going to be what's on TV and whatever they can save in the editing room, good luck. And it's if it's bad and it's, it's to your face and you look like an idiot. So I did not know what was going on <laughs> as we were experimenting, you know. So that actually leads into one of my, my questions that I wanted to ask you. Days Gone took several years to make. I think yeah. you've mentioned before you were you were shooting for about four years uh, it went through some tonal shifts during development. How did the role of Deacon change as development got further along? Well, when we experimented with more comedic stuff, I I leaned into that heavily because I love that. St I love comedic stuff. I also are you talking like the the sarcasm of Deacon or no? I mean like like a totally different tone where Days Gone was more of an action adventure with like comedy. <laughs> I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, hey, thank you, thank you. We're done. <laughs> Okay, Apparently good. that was the wrong answer, according to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a little bit more like Tango and Cash for a second. And and there were, I mean, there were almost like Indiana Jones moments of, of humor. And so kind of like we, quippy action hero kind of stuff. A little bit, a little bit. Like there was this one point where, um, what was it? We were shooting some scene where I wrestled the guy off the top of a roof and then, and then we hit the ground and I, I wrestled the gun away and then there were a bunch of zombies and I was pointing the, I was pointing the gun at the guy and we look at each other and we look at the zombies and then I look at him again and then shoot him in the knee and take off. And it was like, a, and it was honestly like played for comedy, you know, like, like, wait, like wait, it was so that really was actually, dark. That was the scene you shot? Shot this. Yes. And it was a really sort of a dark comic moment. You know, where I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that. And then John started taking that away. And I'm like, what, what, where's the comedy, man? Was it, it was really working. Cause it, it, cause like for that tone, that scene really worked. But John's like, no, 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 we're going in this direction. And then eventually, uh, where we landed was John was like, no, 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 we're going just for real, 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 real. Your job is to make this as real as possible. Now it's been discussed by, you know, people like Jeff who, you know, said that our apocalypse is not as literal an apocalypse as 
as it would be. It's a little bit like the zombie dreams some would have, or the you know daydreams people have about a zombie apocalypse. But my job was, and the actor's job was to be like, well, regardless of whether the world is the most real apocalypse as we can make it for the game, your performances need to be 100% real, which Mm. is where Deacon talking to himself came in. That was a decision I made because of, and then I sold to John because of him wanting real, real, real. So. Can you elaborate a bit on that? So I know you've talked about that before about the lines of dialogue that are usually kind of in video yes. games sort of spoken yes. out loud, but they're not really out loud. Can you not really out loud? Yeah. There is there it's inner monologue. Like what is this? It looks like a coin. Could it be a clue? I should go left. You know what I mean? Like that shit, which is, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I should, I'm not making fun of it because that's, that's a convention for video games. That's just how they work. We, you know, we're doing it we do it in Callisto protocol, but for days gone, and because John said real, 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 I said, John, what if what if I play these lines like Deacon's actually saying these things aloud to himself? Because I think he would. I think he would. I think because the game and the story, there's the story, you know, loneliness and isolation are a theme and a character, really, in the story. Mm-hmm. And so under those circumstances, how would he not be talking to himself? So if we're going real... And I don't know that I've really seen this done in a game where we're literally, there's a character muttering to himself, like throughout the whole experience. I mean, my God, John wrote, you know, and this is, again, it's me riffing off of what John wrote. John wrote a guy who is, who's gripping, wrestling with these things so hard that he, he spends time going up and talking to a rock. It's in our game. I mean, it's in the story. He goes to talk to a rock more than once and have monologues to a rock. So yeah, I, I said that John thought it was a good idea. And then, and then of course the, you know, the reviewers thought it was a terrible idea, (laughs) which I think was, I, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, when I sort of, I didn't read a lot of reviews, but I would skim them. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I went too far. I went to right. It's just not a good idea. I didn't, this was not a good idea. Then the pandemic hit. And then I was like, oh, fuck you guys. I did. I did the right thing. Because guess uh-huh. what? Now I am Deacon. Now I am literally having full conversations with myself every day during lockdown because I'm isolated. How would this not have happened to Deacon? So, you know, at that point I felt uh, very vindicated and, and the, yes. you know, I'm like, oh, fuck you guys. You guys don't know what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> I, I thought it was great. You know, honestly, it was the first video game I'd played where I didn't notice that it was that in a monologue said so that the player can understand what we're seeing on screen. It actually did feel a cohesive part of the world. And yeah, if you look at it from a certain point of view, it's like, yeah, Deacon's muttering to himself, but like, yeah, he would. He totally fucking would. Everyone in this world would. Everyone is fucking crazy in this world. I've had a few people uh, who suffer from PTSD reach out to me and they, and they called out the talking to them to, Deacon talking to himself as one of the things that made them relate so strongly to the character. And they have said in no uncertain terms, they're like, that's what happens. That's how your brain is. This is a tool that your brain uses to try to maintain your grip on your own sanity. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that was another reason why I felt like, okay, no, this was the right thing to do. Whether someone enjoys that or not is up for debate, but this was the right right thing to do for our story. You know, Um, we made a lot of choices like that in this um you know i've had debates with uh 
boy, I'm going off on a tangent now. I've had debates with Chris Stone a little bit about Days Gone, who because he worked on it, and and, and other devs who have said to me, they're like, you know, it needed to needed to grab you right away. You, you know, there was why did Days Gone wait for their best story material and their best gameplay to be later in the story, and that was a bad call. It was a bad design call, and and I liken it to well. For example, there's this show called Andor, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I'm maybe not totally inexperienced when it comes to how do you make Star Wars. Like, I'm not entirely inexperienced at that. I've been working with those guys for 15 years, and I was say, you've worked on a couple Star Wars projects. I've done it. I've done it a little bit of it, and I've done a little bit of it under George. So I think I have a little bit of an understanding of how it works and how you create a Star Wars character. I've done, I've, I've done it a few times. I have some opinions about it. And I remember when I came in to work on Andor and helped them out a little bit, I saw wonderful performances. I saw it was shot beautifully and I saw it was extremely, extremely slow paced. And I remember thinking, well, that's Star Wars moves faster than this. Star Wars is mythology through action adventure, you know, and it's philosophy through action adventure. And How's this going to work that they're going so slow? I mean, because I like slow paced stuff, but how does this work in Star Wars? Is it going to work in Star Wars? I appreciate that they're trying it, but I have concerns. Then I saw the finished product and I was like, yeah, the people that think this is too slow are wrong. This is, this is a <laughs> tremendous dimension to add to Star Wars. This is a tremendous way to tell a Star Wars story. And you get so much by doing it this way. But yes, you do ask the audience to be patient a little bit. So to relate to that to Days Gone, in which, like I said, loneliness and isolation are a character in the in the story. Well, guess what? If you start out with a horde or you start out with a big bang and this and that, then loneliness and isolation do not get to assert themselves in that story in the same way. Right. You know, you can allude to it, but you won't feel it in the same way. If you don't, if you don't slowly make your way into that story let the story be a slow burn. And so the the debate that I have with people like Chris Stone is like, well, listen, I get it. You're going to get better reviews if you do the traditional grab the player right away. Like, you know, you, I played Arkham Knight again recently and boy, they grab you and they don't let go of you for a while until they finally let you off into the, into the open world. And it's designed really, really well. But you don't necessarily feel lonely and you're not supposed to feel mm-hmm. lonely in that Batman game. But in Days Gone, you're supposed to feel lonely and messed up and uh and so yeah you know there so so my argument is i'm like yeah reviewers be damned if you don't do it the way we did it you just don't get those kinds of stories in video games and i think we should have those kinds of stories in video games in the same way that i think we should have the kind of shows that andor is you can't just say oh you can't do that because it works like this be like no try it do it go for it and you might <laughs> actually hit on something really cool but it's not great for reviewers it's not, right. it's not the right. best way for them to review i mean you know it's like that whole thing where i got in trouble for for daring to suggest that that some reviewers might not finish video games or play them on the video games terms before they put their review out and i remember getting into a big argument with one reviewer who in the course of the argument admitted he didn't didn't finish a lot of games that he reviewed i'm like well that's what i'm saying man like it's not necessarily i am i am making the point not that you're a bad person i'm making the point that it's an imperfect system guys am i not Mm -hmm. allowed to say that or are are the critics not allowed to be critiqued is that where we're (laughs) so anyway 
I'm going off on a tangent. Sorry. No, go- no, you're all good. Um, I worked as a freelance journalist. I know how little you can get paid to do a review. Mm-hmm. You have to turn it in in a certain number of days or a week or something. And Days Gone is a huge game. It took me 90 yeah. hours to finish my first playthrough. So I think it's unfair to expect reviewers to finish the game, but it's also unfair to expect a good review of a game that you didn't finish. Like, how are you supposed to review it? My And my point is this, is that it's like, look, it may not be the best look to write in a review, hey, this is how far I got in the game. This is how much I could experience. The game is actually wanting me to experience in this way. But here was my experience under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's not a great look honesty. in a review. You, you probably want to go, no, it's this and it's that and here's my score. But no, 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 put the nuance in there. Let people understand what it is that that you that you were experiencing and under what circumstances because it's the truth. You know what I mean? It's 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 the truth is often way more nuanced and uh and you know, cuz again, the the reviewer that I was having this debate with both in public and in private was was making those points. And I'm like, "I hear you, but disclose that." Disclose it right. because, you know, we did not, for better or for worse, we didn't turn in a, a, a game that could be reviewed reasonably under the current system. There you yeah. go. You know, I, it's the difficulty of reviewing most games. I mean, video games take 20, 30, 40, 50 hours plus yeah. to complete. Yeah, it, it's it seems impossible to ask someone to review something for the the. I know how much a freelance journalist earns when making reviews. They're not making a lot of money, so they don't want to put a lot of hours in. Yeah, you have it's to kind of prioritize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like if I can go on a tangent as well, the Callisto Protocol, your latest release, that has had some bad reviews in part because of day one launch problems, yeah, uh, glitches yeah. and things, which as far as I know have all been fixed now. So I'm kind of getting into arguments with people on Reddit saying, how can you review a game based on day one glitches, when day two, that patch has come out that's fixed those issues, your review no longer stands because they've all been fixed. So tricky because, you know, on one hand, I would say, yeah, but guess what? That's when they played it. They, they Is it released? It's out. Well, then guess what? They get a chance to weigh in on that. And, you know, what are you going to ask them to do? Do it again. On the other hand, day one patches are now very common. So you're like, it just happens actually all over the industry. It's not like back in the Force Unleashed days. I mean, you, there were no day one patches. You fit it on a disc, and that's that. And and yes, there were patches, sure, but but it was there was way more of a reliance on this has to function as intended the moment it comes out because some people don't have their Xboxes hooked up to the internet. Not at that time, and uh, and so. Uh, and you know, it's a miracle force unleashed worked when it came out because that whole game was stuck together with like twine and bubble gum and had like what, like three different physics systems that were never designed to talk to each other, talking to each other. And, and, you know, it was sort of, sort of an insane, uh, mad scientist thing. So the fact that that came out and did not, was not plagued with technical issues is a miracle, but that was not a thing that was done at the time. These days, yes, games actually come out. I mean, look, you know, Cyberpunk, it's mm. actually one of one of my favorite games I've ever played, but I waited a year. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I remember reading the reviews and this is, you know, again, reviews serve a purpose, right? I read the reviews. I'm like, okay, I it. The, what I'm gleaning from these reviews is that there might be a really great game here. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for them to to patch it all up. And I waited a year. And then my experience with Cyberpunk was like, that was amazing. 
And Keanu Reeves was so charming. And oh my God, it's so cool. So I don't know what the answer is there. That's a tricky one. Because like I, I am not unsympathetic to a reviewer who goes, it, it's out though. Did you release it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I reviewed it. It's out. What do you, you know what I mean? Like it's, but, yeah. but day one patches are everywhere these days. I think it would behoove everyone to just maybe at this point take, maybe the reviews come out a day or two later. I don't know how it works. I have no idea what the answer, what you tell me, how do you fix that? What do you do? I mean, I thought the answer certainly for the Callisto protocol and, and days gone as well, reviewing things based on the glitches is assume that those glitches are going to be fixed and review the story and the gameplay Hmm. And maybe mention there are glitches, but like the assumption being there will be a patch. Uh, so many people jumped on that game just because it was glitchy and Days Gone suffered from that as well. Same glitchy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, but it's fixed now. So there was, as I recall, there were like some other things that they caught last minute that would have utterly hobbled Days Gone on its release. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was some crazy thing that they found last second. Anyway. Um, let's go back to what you were talking about earlier about the theme. At the beginning of the game, Deacon's in a really dark place, locked in his grief and unwilling or unable to find a way to move through it. You did a great job showing us Deacon's pain. How did it feel to channel that much loss and grief? And if you don't mind me asking, where did you get your inspiration for that? Um, wow. Wow. I, I think as an actor, you just... You try to think of what's happening with the character in as much detail as you possibly can. So it does involve some research in some cases and reading about other people's experiences. And you just try your best to imagine what that would what that would be like. Now what I was I was just hoping that because Deacon's Deacon's situation is also some some partially rooted in very real world um elements in his military service and some trauma that was already baked in there and stuff like that. So I just tried to imagine <laughs> my best and hoped that I wasn't going to insult anyone. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> uh, because I, I don't know that I've been through an extraordinary loss like Deacon, um, nor have I ever served in the military or had any physical, major physical trauma in my life, I've been extremely lucky. So to a certain extent, I was just like, I have maybe, maybe that's why I went so far with things like him talking to himself and stuff like that, because the last thing I wanted to do was present a sort of spit and polish video game. I, I, I didn't want any kind of um, plastic version of the character. Hmm. And, and I would rather have erred on the side of having there be uncomfortable moments rather than him coming off as too plastic. So, because to, just to honor what other people have been through that I have not. You know what right. I mean? That's a good answer. Um, Deacon starts out as kind of a shitty person as well, yeah. having been ostracized from Lost Lake, making money, selling slaves, generally being as much of an asshole as he can <laughs> to push everyone else away. He's a man on the brink of completely losing his humanity. But of course, by the end of the game, he's redeemed himself. What are your thoughts on Deacon's character arc? We went so much further with what we shot than what was in the story. Um, oh, really? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Deacon was like twice the asshole that, that he even is in the story that, that was released because you know, that whole thing, like go realistic. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, in that world, this is not going to be a nice guy. He would have been dead if he was a nice guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The game actually tells you that several times that nice guys are, are dead. The only people yeah. who survived are like the, uh, you know, the the hardcore criminals and people who are willing to do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah, which is why Ricky, for example, and Iron Mike, they stick out as characters. You go, whoa, hey, you know, or Deb Wilson's character. You know, they they. Mm-hmm. They're bright lights because we're trying to establish a world in which everyone is like one inch away from shooting the person next to them, you know? Well, it's funny you mentioned Iron Mike because his backstory, the whole mystery of what happened at Sherman's camp, he was part of a violent fight for Mm -hmm. control of that region. And he actually murdered a whole bunch of people. And it was that that became the impetus for him building Lost Lake and changing himself and becoming a, a better person and trying to strive for that idealism that ends up going a little too far and getting him killed and putting Lost Lake at risk. It's a a really nice little story Mm -hmm. um, and a really nice way to examine survival versus rebuilding, idealism versus realism, that whole kind of theme of the Lost Lake section of the game. Uh, And of course, it's a great opportunity to present that to Deacon and be like, which side do you fall on? Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. You know, and this is the... The fun about working with John Garvin is that, you know, we we would get into these debates and sometimes these arguments. But what I learned through the arguments is that, boy, he has crafted an intricate world here where these pieces interact with other pieces like a puzzle. And, you know, Iron Mike is part of is you know he informs upon the character of Deacon based on the fact that he went even further than Deacon at some point. You know what I mean? Uh, goes mm-hmm. even further than Deacon went in terms of this any kind of bastard behavior. But Deacon, um, you know they they trimmed out some of Deacon's worst moments early on. They cut it out. Can you give an example of something they cut? Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, there were he was even he. First of all, here is one thing that I was glad that they that they trimmed quite a bit. Deacon was such a bastard that he was even throwing out that he even had a wall between him and Boozer. And boy, that was a good idea to, to break that wall down a little bit so that Deacon, cause Deacon, okay. You know, it makes sense to me that if Deacon goes and meets a random person that he's going to be constantly posturing, like, don't fuck with me. I'll, I have a gun and I'm fucking crazy, man. Don't fuck with me. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's going to have that, that sense of being, on a hair trigger, you know, mm-hmm. and I think everyone would to, to a certain extent, everyone would be sort of posturing for like, I'm the most dangerous person here. No, I'm the most dangerous person here. Okay. Well, let's not find out. Here's your camp credits. Okay. Let's leave. You know what I mean? Like this sort of, you know, like the it's guy, a that, survival tool. It's a survival tool. Exactly. That if you let down that posturing and act too nice, someone's going to go, Oh, this is an easy mark. And then they take you out and you're dead. Right. So yeah. Deacon is constantly posturing and where we finally ended up especially with the cuts was that he didn't posture as much with Boozer. And it's like, yes, of course you wouldn't. This is your brother. And so I was glad that, you know, because early on he was, he was even like that toward Boozer to a certain extent. And Jim Peary is such a likable, cool guy that first of all, we need the audience to become uh, invested in Boozer. So when the point of view character isn't, doesn't seem as invested, that's a problem. Secondly, 
Jim Perry's so likable that you start going, what the hell's wrong with you, pal? Like, <laughs> why are you such a, you know, do you have to be a bastard to this guy? He's cool. He's a cool guy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And Jim Perry has this really interesting ability that I don't have, which is he can play it as hard as he wants. He can be, uh, you know, aggressive and mean and gruff. And he still comes off like an awesome guy. He still comes off like, <laughs> wow, man, that guy's cool. He seems like a total bro, like a total brother that anyone would be happy to have on their side, happy to count as a friend. He seems very dependable, loyal, nice, I despite his gruff exterior. I, yeah. he's, first of all, these these actors that they assembled were all so good. Oh, this is Eric Kramer. He's Iron Mike. And you just see his performance. You're like, oh my God, yes, so he good. is. Yes, he so absolutely good. is. You know, all right. And Jim Peary, um, he was... Just an extremely warm guy who knows how to freaking act. You know, it's just here. I'm gonna actually. I'm IMDb days gone so that I can, you know, touch on on people and honor their their uh, sacrifice, <laughs> their performance. There's one scene that always stands out to me between uh, you, Eric Kramer playing Iron Mike, and Jason Spizak playing Schizo. Jason and it's uh, yeah. he. It's such a good scene. The three of you together is incredible. You're all so good. And all the the mannerisms, the the delivery of lines, everything is just so fucking perfect. I, I love those scenes. Those are my favorite scenes in the game. Jason Spizak is a Lux Von Terry in the Clone Wars. So, you know, he plays this young, um, possible romantic interest for Ahsoka Tano, good looking kid. And then, on, you know, then take him over to Days Gone and he's just this scumbag. I just thought that was so great. I'm like, this guy's got some range. He does. I'm even wearing my Fox Schizo shirt today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's funny is he plays it in a certain way where you find yourself going, wait a second. Okay. Are you an okay guy? Can we be friends? We can be friends. Oh, no, of course. What an idiot. I can't believe I trusted Schizo. Oh, God. What a bastard. You know, I just, I loved that because Schizo wouldn't have been as interesting if he didn't take you on that journey, if you didn't get to a point where you were having a little bit of a heart to heart with this guy and going, you know what? Maybe there's some hope here. No, <laughs> there's, like, there's not. Um, yeah. You know? I think there's two things about Schizo that make the game so good and make the interactions with him so good. The first is that, like you say, it, it, you kind of want him to be good. It's like you don't yes. just outright hate him right from the bat. Like You get that feeling of like, oh, this guy's kind of a douche. But then he has these moments where he does let down his guard and you're like, oh shit, maybe I can actually trust this There's guy. There's a human being there. And this is where this is where I, I land with the cast of Days Gone is that they're all very good at that. They're all very good at providing the humanity of their character. And so I think that they all came off really, really well. I mean, when I was working with them, what was fun about it is that they wouldn't necessarily at all. Well, this is, this is what you want, right? If you're in, if, from my point of view, you go on a set, I want to be, look, there are times, depending on the material, where an actor is delivering very, very well exactly what you expected they would deliver. You go, great. This is terrific. This is exactly what's written and they're nailing it. And then there are the other times where you're like, you go on a set and the actor isn't giving you a damn thing like you thought you were going to be uh, getting. And that is thrilling because you're like, they're doing it. And this is what's written, but this ain't the way that, <laughs> that I expected them to take it. And oh boy, this is interesting. 
And, uh, and I feel like on Days Gone, we had a lot of the second kind or, or, you know, maybe it's also the way that John wrote it. And also the fact that John encouraged people, John, like Nishi would be like, well, I think I would say who played Ricky. She'd be like, I think I would say it like this. Or Courtney would be like, I don't know that, that she would say it like this. And John would be like, well, how would you say it? Just say it like that. And he was not, he wasn't precious about it. He was just like, change it or take, make it your own, make it real. He would constantly say, make it real, make it real, make it real. Well, this alert, well, no, 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 forget about that. Just say it the way you would say it. Um, and then if there was a key moment, he'd be like, no, preserve these. I want these lines as written, but like everything else to get there, you know, take it away. Show me, show me what you would do. And if you were really there. And when you do that, I think that's probably why I kept getting surprised by the actors because there was an, there was an improvisational element and you didn't quite know where they were going to take it. And I think that's why everyone feels so human in the, uh, Mm. because John was like, John was, he was doing the same thing. He's like, surprise me. I wrote it. Surprise me. What do you got? (laughs) And he would steer us away from bad ideas for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, like John Garvin, I learned real quick over that first year that there's very little that I could bring up that he hadn't thought of. Right. He, He thought it all through. Um, my job was to shade it in. My job was to to uh, really give detail and texture to whatever it is that he thought up. But the ideas that he thought up and the pieces that he put on the board, you know, he knew what game of chess he was playing and he knew when to move this piece and when that was happening. He had a very good sense for that, which is exactly the kind of, look, this it's, it, it is kind of my ideal working relationship where it's like, look, yeah, that is my job. My job is to get into your idea and then make it specific in a way that I would make it specific. And uh, that was so much fun. And I think everyone really did that. And I think it's why people like Schizo do not come off as your two-dimensional bad guy. You know, no, mm-hmm. there was a, there's a human being there, really interesting human being. Yeah. I think you have to, with Schizo, you have to half believe him or want to believe him that he's on your side for the betrayal to actually make sense. Because if it's just, oh, I knew yeah. from the start he was an asshole and, oh, now he's betrayed us. You're not really going to get much out of the game if it's like, no. yeah, I saw that come in, saw that come in, predictable, mm-hmm. predictable, blah, boring. Uh, that's something that, that really brings it to life. They were all wonderful like that. I just, I, I just loved it, you know. Um, or Daniel, Daniel Reardon, like, <laughs> he was just terrific. He was just, I'm like, yeah, this guy's taking it in a direction he's going for. It. They were all going for it. You know what I mean? They were, uh, you know, um, Bernardo is O'Brien he was going for it. They were all just, you know, Crispin Freeman, who I, I worked with his sister years ago on, on Smallville Cassidy, Phil Morris, you know, we'd, we'd sit there and talk about Star Trek, which was awesome. Um, you know, cause he was, he was actually, his dad was in Mission Impossible, which is another Desilu production. And Star Trek was Desilu, you know, Lucio Ball's company. And he would visit the set of Star Trek and he was in a couple of the episodes. I think he was in one ep- one or two episodes as a kid in Star Trek. Um, but Phil, I worked with in Smallville years ago. So, you know, like it was just, I can't say enough good things about the, the cast. Andrew Cascino, who played Manny. That's Saw Gerrera from the Clone Wars, man. You know, very talented musician and really great actor. Just like, I really like Manny. Manny's a cool guy, you know? Too bad Deacon was so hard on him, you know? Um, um, you know, Laura Bailey came in 
um, and did some great work for us. It's just fantastic. Deb Wilson, um, who's in the Jedi Fallen Order games now. Uh, so you've worked with a lot of the actors from Days Gone. You've worked with them in other projects. Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. I, there was it was a pretty friendly group. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of your co-stars? Um, tangentially over social media. Did you do a lot of mocap or were lines recorded separately? How did that work? Um, it was all mocap, you know? So yeah, if you see me, you know, talking to Darian and me and Weaver are going back and forth. Yeah. We shot that, you know, it's all, it's, it was all created on the set. You know, that's one of the things that drives me nuts about IMDb is they haven't brought themselves up to speed yet. They'll say, you know, Jim Peary, boozer voice be like, no, it's Jim Peary Boozer. Get rid of the voice thing. What are you talking about voice? He was, he looks just like the character. They wore a head cam with a camera pointed at his face and he wore the mocap suit and it looks just like him because it's, it, all that's different about it is, is how we captured the visual performance. That's all that's different. Mm -hmm. You know? Yes. There's mics on the, on the helmet. So yes, it used our voice, but it, it was it used everything else. The way that that Boozer walks—that's Jim Peary. The way that he, you know, scrunches up his face at times—that's Jim Peary. That's his face. That's his performance. That's his everything. So there's one point in the game that would be impossible to achieve without mocap, and it's this one moment after a flashback where Deacon, you, are sitting on a bike, and you just sort of seg out of the flashback you know happy times with sarah and it cuts to deacon just sitting there and he just looks so fucking heartbroken the the bittersweet the good memories and the pain and everything and it's just written there on his face there's no dialogue it's literally just he looks up and he kind of looks down and then he starts the bike and drives off and it's just so fucking beautiful i cry every time i see that it's incredible the team that was responsible for translating the performances on set to, you know, the computer stuff, especially the facial stuff were incredible. I mean, I was watching some stuff and, and just being like, because you see yourself on, I don't know, for, if you work in film and television, you, you get to know sort of certain things that your face does because you may not be uh, conscious of it when you do it, but then you see it and you're like, oh, there's that little weird smirk thing that I do for some reason. That's <laughs> that weird eyebrow thing that happens. So I was like freaking out when I was finally seeing the scenes and the digital face was doing the weird eyebrow thing or the weird <laughs> little smirk thing. And I was like, oh my God, they, they nailed because they have the data, but the data has to be, um, you know, depending on how good the team is, the data comes through more one-to-one -one if it's a really really good team and i was mm -hmm. like dude this is one-to-one -one. this is they the data was really captured well and it was um and they made sure that that translation happened and in some cases they have to fix it a little bit you know they'll they have the visual reference and they have the the the, the head cam not only is tracking the the dots on my face but it's also recording video of my face and they have video on the set with several cameras rolling so if there's some piece of data that doesn't translate They'll go in and make sure, no, 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 he had a little lip curl there. Let's make sure that that's there and, you know, stuff like that. They did a terrific, terrific job with the actors in doing what those act, what those actors do. It was just yeah. a terrific. Ter I was blown away when I saw how, how good it was. In fact, once I saw Days Gone, I'm like, oh my God, we got to remake Force Unleashed because there's, this is just a totally different 
process. The technology has come so far. What's your opinion on some of the misunderstandings about the reunion between Deacon and Sarah? A lot of people think she's cold-hearted for not immediately jumping into Deacon's arms, and it takes time to rebuild their relationship. I loved it. I loved it. There was, you know, when we saw the script, it was like, yeah, of course. There's no way after everything that's, that's happened in this world where you're just putting it, you know, you're isolated. I mean, my God, after the, we've all been through this lockdown and then remember what it was like to be in public again. And you, I remember just like stuttering my way through conversations. How the hell would Deacon and Sarah um, come together after not having seen each other after all of that isolation and all of that trauma? There's just no way. And so when I saw the script, I was like, yep, that's correct. But then what, what really sold it was Courtney's performance. Courtney was, I mean, she, she destroyed it. She murdered it. She was so good. It was so realistic. It was so Courtney, Courtney is, she's so cool. First of all, she's hilarious, right? I mean, she's just is constantly up to something or, you know, making fun of you or something like that, but she's really funny, uh, has a tremendous voice, but she, there's a strength about Courtney because when we were auditioning actors, there were a lot of good actors that were coming in for Sarah. And by the end of it, I just said to John, I'm like, well, it has to be Courtney Draper. And I don't know if I was aware that, that she was, you know, Bioshock Infinite, uh, her work in that. I, at the time, I certainly was after the fact. Maybe I was going in, but I said, it has to be Courtney Draper. And John's like, why do you think it has to be Courtney? I'm like, because you wrote a character who works as a scientist and hangs out with bikers. <laughs> you need someone that has a broad range and can cover those two areas just as well as the other. We, we need to believe in her intellectual superiority. And we have to believe that she's also kind of a wild child. And I'm getting both of them for, for Courtney. And if you don't have both of those things, the character of Deacon, even the nicer flashback Deacon, is just kind of kind of walk all over her. You can't have that. She's 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 got to really keep this guy on his toes. And by covering both the intellectual, uh, the smarts of that character, and then also the the wild childness, I bought them as a couple. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's a very strange couple, <laughs> but but I bought them, and I bought them because of Courtney. I bought I bought them as a couple because of Courtney Draper, and she had both of them. She was she's got this toughness about her. She's got this softness about her. She's got the intellect. She's got the wit. And she's also kind of a little bit of a wild child, you know? So I was like, yeah, this is Deacon's lady. This, this is, yeah. this is the, this is the one that he falls for hard. But anyway, so you get to their reunion and, uh, I thought it made perfect sense. And I thought she just absolutely was so awesome with the way she played it. And, um, and also the fact that it's a complete transformation of character there. She, this is not the same Sarah at all. So neither of these people know right. what to make of each other. They We look like the people we used to remember, but like it's been years. And we don't know how to fall back into any kind of uh, couple type energy. In fact, when they finally eventually, you know, get physical with each other, it's it's really only because they've been spending time together, but they're not thinking about that. That's why they're like, they're thinking about survival. They're thinking about this, they're thinking about that. And they're next to each other. And, and that pattern emerges 
rather than they try to force the pattern out of it. It's like, I, I don't know, I'll speak for myself or I'll speak for myself and my friends, but it's like, I don't even know how Deacon would make that move to even try to kiss her when he first saw her. Really? Yeah. How to do that well. I don't even know how you do that. I would be like, under those circumstances, no way. You know, it's weird enough when you've had an argument with someone to, to, to try to figure out how to find a way back to some sort of intimacy. It's, uh, so under those circumstances, I mean, anyway, I, it, to me, it seemed like the only logical way you could do that scene. And when John wrote it that way, I was like, yeah, dude. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. Am I just mumbling? I'm rambling. No, no, that's, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about that need for reviewers and for certain players to have that instant gratification. Um, the slow burn is sometimes a little lost on people. Were people frustrated by that? Yes. They yeah, were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Some people, I, I defend this vehemently on the subreddit and through the podcast, I did an episode on the reunion. Uh, people are like, but why didn't she just like kiss him? Why didn't she just give him a hug? Why wasn't she so happy she? to see him? How could she? I know. After everything she's been through, how could she? Or, you know, and also Deacon, if you, if you look at Deacon here, yeah, I'm going to break down a moment. <laughs> I don't even know if I should do this. I'm going to break down a moment and, uh, and then I'll, I'll promptly get canceled. Um, <laughs> Sarah says, you know, only if you promise to ride me as much as you ride your motorcycle. Deacon's response is not, yeah, it's not that <laughs> Deacon's response is, uh, I, 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 I ride my motorcycle like a lot. I don't even know if I can, uh, that's a, yeah. okay. Oh, okay. She's kind of joking. Okay. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. But Deacon's response is like, what do I got to do? I, okay, that's going to be a lot of work. Okay, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, she's we're playing with. Okay, we have. That's right. We have a playful relationship. That's right. You know, but but yeah, yeah. it's also a playful callback to that earlier conversation where he proposes and she says, "Oh, as long as we're not having one of those tacky weddings, those biker weddings <laughs> where you know you promise to ride me as much as your bike." Like she says it, like that's a tacky thing, and then she calls back to it jokingly in their wedding. It's a sweet disarming moment yeah. that shows I, the playfulness. I, and I loved that stuff. And, and, and Courtney Draper was able to massage those dialogue moments. I know that there were some, it's interesting. I know there's some reviewers that, that really had a hard time with their dynamic um, to which I would be like, I I'm, I'm fascinated by what their relationships must be like, because in any relationship that I've had, the ridiculous shit that comes out of your mouth with the person you're with <laughs> is insane. And you're like, yeah, I, I don't know that I ever want anyone to watch this interaction between us, but like, like crazy weird stuff that would be totally inappropriate if not only with the person that you trust the most. Right. You know, right. and they say ridiculous stuff to you and you say ridiculous stuff to them. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was the, the sense that Courtney and I were trying to bring to it of like, you, you realize, couples talk to each other like this, right? I mean, this is like a thing, you know, this is, this is yeah. not necessarily, it's, it's not always the classiest dialogue, but it's also rooted in fun. And generally, you know, what's funny about love stories in TV and film is that everyone likes to concentrate on, they just loved each other and they looked longingly into each, other, into each other's eyes <laughs> and they said that perfect thing and then they fell in love even more and then and she knew she would love him to the end of time and he knew that he'd never loved her more than that moment. And you know what we don't get enough of? Two people who like each other. 
Mm. You get a lot of love, but you get not as much they like each other. And you find as you get older, like as I am very old now, those are two different things. And you need both for a successful relationship. It's not enough that, oh, you know, I love you so much. That's not enough. If you don't like the person, that that's not going to last. That's going to crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. You have to actually like each other. And that means, you know, that, that, you know, you, there's a ridiculousness and a playfulness that happens in a, in a successful relationship. And I've seen it in some of my friends' relationships where it's like, oh, I think they're going to be fine. Cause look how much they enjoy each other's company saying the stupidest mundane inane bullshit to each other, but they like each other. This is like fun for them. This is cool. You know? So that was the whole thing we were trying to capture with Deacon and Sarah. Like, no, 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 they like each other. They, they actually get a kick out of saying this shit to each other and harassing each other a little bit and, you know, and kind of pushing each other's buttons and playing with each other. That's the whole thing. So, you know, I, I almost attribute people's objection to it as like, oh, you're not used to seeing this. Cause we don't really do this as much in film and TV, but like we should do it more because these ingredients actually make a relationship last the ingredients of staring longingly into each other's eyes. No, 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 no. That's not going to get you through the hard stuff. The, the best relationships I've ever had in my life were the, the fondness was the tool that got you through the hard times. You know, the fondness was where like, you know, you said something angular to the other person and not the nicest of ways. And the other person then breaks into a song and dance, like like 80s dance, and goes, be nice to me. Ooh, you gotta be nice to me. And you're like, and then you're going, no, no, no way. You know, and then you get and you find yourself <laughs> dancing, and then you go, I'm sorry, that was totally messed up. I didn't mean to say it like that. And you're like, and she's like, Yeah, 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 you didn't. I know you didn't. And say it again. Yeah. You can do it. Say it again. Say it better. And you're like, I just think, ah, there he is. There's my guy. You know, like stuff like that. When you have that humor and that fondness, moments that could really erupt into something ugly, they get bypassed and and the person gets to express their 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 frustration, but with humor. You know, like I know this is real frustration, but I'm also gonna put a joke in there so that you can digest the fact that you just messed up a little bit. And don't you think you owe me an apology? Ah, there's the apology. Here we go. Okay, well, what were you saying? Showing each other a little grace. Exactly. Exactly. And and that only comes if you're fond of each other. Then, of course, you know, I've had other relationships where I'm like, I am utterly convinced this person is in love with me. And I think they love me deeply. I don't think they like me, though. I'm not sure if they like me. They seem like they're <laughs> tolerating me. They love oh, me. No. That's true. That's the yeah, no, no. I think we've all been there, right? Like we're like, I, I do believe that this person would do really any anything for me. I think they love me, but I'm not sure if they like me. Not sure. Like I, I make this little joke thing, and they just they they are actually annoyed with me rather than the playful fun. Oh, don't do that or fun annoyance. No, 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 no. They're actually this is something that they are tolerating and swallowing that they don't like. <laughs> so this is maybe not the best fit, you know. It's like the romantic gestures mean nothing if you can't tolerate the way someone chews their food or That's you don't right. like their sense of humor or something. Like you have to, like you say, you have to like someone. And I think the thing about Days Gone is the people who really love the game and love the story are generally more mature people. And I don't mean age, I just mean maturity of life experience. 
And yeah. I think the people who think, oh, Sarah is a damsel in distress who should have just swooned into Deacon's arms the moment she sets eyes on it. They just wanted to see boobs. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting. That's really, that's a really interesting point because I tend to agree that we gave a more mature take on that. I mean, if you watch Deacon, this is not a guy who's thinking he's going to get laid when he walks into that tent. Right. Even even under the best of circumstances, Deacon doesn't know what to expect and he tries to sort of, you know, interact. But if you watch, Deacon doesn't even quite know how to do that either. You know? Right. He's only got like 20 seconds ahead of Sarah, like in terms of, oh my God, there's the person I thought was dead. But he does have a, like a little lead because he sees her before she turns around and sees him. That's right. But they're both, it's like literally they've just walked into each other's lives again. Neither of them is prepared. Super awkward, super awkward. I'd also point out that that whole she jumps into his arms or show me boobs or he just he and she looked at him and he just looked at her back and said the right thing. That's all some sociopathic bullshit, guys. It really, really is. Anytime that I've had to play a character where they where the showrunners have said, we want this guy to be super charming. And this has been said to me a few times. We want him to be really charming, just charming. And then you see the script and it, and, and it even indicates he just says the right thing. And what I, and if you watch my performances, the way I try to make a character charming is I try to give him, you know, I try to do that a little bit, that mysterious thing and blah, blah, blah and say the right thing. And then I make sure that I never give them a take where I don't flub a line. Where I go, you know, like, <laughs> hey, so do you think that you want to maybe, do you, um, uh, do you want to go out on Friday? And that humanizes him because mm-hmm. there are stakes because he's nervous because he likes this person. So the moment the character becomes less perfect, he becomes a person. You know what I mean? If he just stays yeah. like this and says the right thing the whole time and blah, 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 then he's a fucking sociopath, dude, because it means that there are no stakes behind it. It means that he doesn't care. And so there's, it's very simple for him to just say the right thing and look how longingly at you and this and that. No, no, no. Charm comes from actually showing some humanity, right? Um, you know, charm comes from like flubbing a line and having a moment of stumbling and then recover and recovering and then being cool again. And then you, know, you mess it up, you know what I mean? Or you have a laugh or something like that. And so that whole thing with Deacon and Sarah is all about the awkwardness of the reality of the situation and them not knowing. I mean, let's be clear. If Deacon, if Deacon actually got into a situation with Sarah where they were getting hot and heavy, I promise you, and I don't I'm not going to put a, how do I put this? What term do I use to not get super gross on here? I promise you he couldn't perform. It'd be too emo- too much emotional strain, too much awkwardness, too much uncertainty, and he would not be able to go through with it. It wouldn't mm. have happened. The end. You know what I mean? Like, so that's the reality here, you know? And I wish that we had more film and television that that expressed that reality because we live in a world where it's all very, there's no nuance, right? It's like, you know, the girl wants this and the guy wants this and there's no in between and there's no nothing. And you just go like you're, we've stripped the humanity out of these situations, you know? Right. Um, the fact is, is these are far more complicated and nuanced and sometimes, sometimes things rarely ever work out in that movie, you know, beautiful pixie dust 
world. That's not what you're going for. You shouldn't even really want that that much. Really, you should. What you should want is like humor, goodwill, and reality. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm getting weird now, right? I'm going off in a weird direction. (laughs) Well, let's change direction. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned on a live stream recently that your latest role as Captain Ferris in the Callisto Protocol shares some similarities with Deacon. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. So Chris Stone, who uh, did editorial on uh, on Days Gone, um, hired me for that. And when we first talked about the character, he says, "We'll take let's just start with Deacon, and then we'll send him off in a, a different direction." And uh, and so take all Deacon's worst instincts and uh, and then make him this guy. But the, the thing that I think scares me about Ferris was, you know, I just recently got this tweet from someone who they're like, yeah, I just feel so I kind of in a weird way, kind of rooting for your guy because it's like a guy just doing his job. Well, no, 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 no. He didn't say it. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't misquote this person. They said, it feels like your character is just a guy who's doing his job. That's what it, that's what scares me about my character in that in that story. Because he's right. That's exactly what he thinks he's doing. He just mm. happens to be a not a very good person. <laughs> but he is, he thinks he's doing his job. His whole thing is like, like this is a guy that you could sit down and I don't know, the 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 proverbial have a beer with, right? Ah, sit down and Ferris have a beer with. Oh, he's a decent guy. He's cool. Yeah, no, he had some funny things to say, this and that, blah, blah. But then if you go in as a prisoner, he's gonna there's gonna be a different side of this guy that comes out. And, Mm. um, I sort of based Ferris off of this guy I saw on Instagram. Um, so during the lockdown, I, I, me and my two dogs, Buster and Leonard bumped into a third, uh, a, a dog on the street and we ended up following this guy and, and it was clear he was not, he didn't know where he was supposed to be. And I bumped into some cops and they said, oh, we've been trying to get that dog for three days. We can't get near him. He's too fast. And I was like, he seems to be paying attention to me. And I think it's because of my dogs. So I'm like, I'm going to get him. So I made it my mission that day. I sort of like, you know, took myself off the books and I was like, okay, we're going to spend some hours here and we're going to get this guy. So we were following him around and, and eventually I learned that he was tracking us as we were tracking him as he's going away. We herded him into an area away from cars sort of cornered him. And then I let my dogs off the leash and go make friends with him. Long story short, rescued a dog. And now I have three dogs, right? His name is Walter. Walter clearly had had a rough go of it when he was out on the streets. And then within a week of having him, come here, I'm talking about you. Yeah. I'm talking about you. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise tail starts wagging. Okay. So, (laughs) so within a week of having him, he got attacked by a coyote right in front of me. Oh, and shit. my two boys, Leonard and Buster, were not having it. And the three dogs formed up and fought the coyote off. And ever since then, Walter's been very afraid of other dogs because from his perspective, he's like, there was a thing that looked just like that that tried to eat me and kill me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he gets very nervous. Now, you know, again, this is a dog who loves dogs because I wouldn't have been able to get him if he wasn't curious about Leonard and Buster and me taking Leonard and Buster off the leash was the mechanism that we used to make friends with this guy. They yeah, hung out with him the for a good hour before I came anywhere near this guy. Right. So, so he loves dogs and now he's afraid of dogs. Right. Or, you know, he was, he was definitely afraid If he even so much as saw a dog that wasn't Leonard and Buster, he would become 
um, he was beside himself. He would start barking and he wouldn't stop barking for five minutes. He got really, really upset. And I remember thinking, I need to not minimize this. This dog has been through a horrible, like I've never had someone, you know, speaking of days gone, I've never had someone that looked like a human who's as big and strong as I am come at me with the intent of eating me. That's never happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I need to really take this seriously. This isn't just a, oh, there's a coyote. Okay. We're past it. No, 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 no. He had a really traumatic experience where something tried to kill him. Right. And it looked like dogs. So I hired this trainer and, uh, with the idea of like, I really want to work him through this stuff. So we were getting, you know, we're going through the obedience stuff and doing all these things and making progress. And Walter was, me and Walter were learning to communicate and he's learning all these things. Um, and then eventually, uh, metal choke collars were introduced into the training. And I was like, okay, I mean, I guess that I, okay. I've never really done this before. Okay. There's this thing where there's the prongs. And if you, you know, oh, and then yeah. he's like, oh yeah, you pop on the leash when, when he's not, when he's doing something you shouldn't do, like if he barks, just give him a good pop. And so I would give him sort of this like loose little limp, little pop. And he's like, no, 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 like this, bam. Walter's not that big. Right. And I, and I was like, listen, I'm a lot bigger than this guy. Um, you say that hard? No, oh, yeah, no, dogs are tough, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Then he started saying, Hey, you know what we should do? We should get him on a on a shock collar, because that's another way we can motivate him. And I'm just like, again, that that sense of this is not right was now starting to grow to extraordinary proportions. I started immediately because I was I was already rebelling with the with the choke collar. I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. he's like, no, he's like, you're not really popping him. And I'm like, I know. I don't want to hurt this dog. He's like, you're not going to hurt him. I'm like, mm, I don't, it seems to me that what you are trying to make me do is make this dog more afraid of me than any other dog on the street. And therefore he'll shut up because he's afraid of what I'll do. That seems fucked. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. So as I started, um, complaining about that, um, and complaining about the fact that now he wants me to do shock collars. And then he sent me over to this, uh, this is, sorry, I'm off on this long tangent, but he sent no, me over to good. this, um, <laughs> this Instagram channel of some dog trainer. And, the, and he's like, this guy, he's like, just watch this video. Cause this guy's going to take you through how these tools work, like the shock collar and the choke collar. And he talks through and, he, and he, he's, he's like, first he talks about the choke collar and how it's supposed to be used. Then he talks about the shock collars and stuff like that. And as I watched this video, my jaw was on the fucking floor. Um, because the dude who was talking in the video, this dog trainer, dog trainer, he starts off with this, this whole thing of like, okay, so I just want to say, you know, there's some controversy about whether these types of, uh, of methods are, they work or they don't work or like they're bad for dogs. They're good for dogs. We're not, that's not what this is about. This is just me teaching you how to do this. And, and believe me, they do work. I've been a dog trainer for this long and yes, you can get, you know, great results from these things. Okay. So here's the shock collar, right? Okay. And so, and here's the thing, if you put it on your neck and you just do it level one, it just feels like a little tickle. This feels like a little tickle. Then you put it on level like four and oh yeah, you're feeling that. Yeah, you're feeling that. And you, know, you can dial it all the way up to level 10. And then it feels like, like a mule kick. <laughs> and he like laughed. And then I was oh watching the video God. and it's like the only time he smiled or showed any sort of laugh or smile or human emotion was when he talked about some method of dog training that would hurt the dog. And I was like, and I played it again a few times. And I'm like, Oh my God, this guy will only show human emotions when he's fully dominating the dog. Holy fuck. So suffice to say the trainer that sent me to that channel fired him that day. I was like, you're out, you're done. Right. Nope. 
got rid of all the choke collars, got rid of, I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. Fuck that. Started talking to like other people, including a, a trainer that I knew who's in Nashville and someone who works with uh, military dogs. And they were like, great. Now that you fired the guy, bullshit. You know, the military person was like, yeah, yeah. So we have to train dogs uh, to dodge bullets and shit. Uh, you think it works for us to have the dogs more afraid of us than what? No, this is not how we treat. We don't use Joe. We don't use this, blah, blah. It's like, it's positive reinforcement because these dogs have to do horrible negative things. And the only way they're going to get through it is if the people that they're bonded with is just a completely positive relationship, you know? Right. So anyway, long story short, I took Deacon and combined him with that dog trainer guy. And that's Ferris. Ferris is like, Hey, I, I'm just doing my job. These people that are in the prison, um, they need to respect authority. It's my job to bring order to this chaos. And oh, oh, you're gonna get on my, you're gonna get on my case for showing a little, you know, personality. Well, guess what? The people that I am dealing with in this prison, oh, they have personality too. So, you know, forgive me if I'm gonna, you know, show a little personality. That's kind of how I need to maintain control here because I need to get results. And this is good for them. And this is good for the prison. So it's fine and whatever. And what this Ferris guy isn't seeing is. Yeah, but you're a sadistic fuck also. And you like this. You like this. You're doing more than what is necessary. This is the only thing that gives you a real charge because it makes you feel powerful. You know, you like making people afraid of you. So you can have a cup of coffee with this guy, have a nice conversation, but don't ever be in a situation where this guy believes you should do what he says, because if you don't, it will turn his entire worldview upside down. He will get threatened and become enraged. There's mm. a long story short of who Captain Ferris is, as opposed to Deacon, who is super aggressive, will super, you know, act like he's going to tear your face off. We'll, we'll shoot Reapers. We'll do this. We'll do that. But the key with Deacon is he kind of doesn't, if you don't bother him, kind of doesn't give a fuck what you do. He's, he's like, no, he's a live and let, live guy. He's like, yeah, whatever, just stay, just don't shoot at me. We're fine if you don't shoot at me <laughs> and don't shoot at anyone I care about. Now, if you fucking cross this line, I'm going to go, I'm going to lose my shit, you know, but if you're just going to be over there, fine, do whatever you want to do. That's fine. Just leave me alone. Ferris isn't that guy. Ferris is that guy who goes, what are you doing over there? I don't like the way you're doing that. And it's fucking pissing me off. That's Ferris. Ferris is the guy who, <laughs> Ferris is the guy who is like, I don't like that that uh the new willow show is so woke so i want to try to get it canceled be like do you watch willow no <laughs> why do you want to get it canceled because i don't like it but you don't, you just said you don't watch it i know no one's making you watch it <laughs> i want to get it canceled that's ferris oh that's sorry funny. i went off on a whole tangent there i'm so sorry <laughs> no that was a good story okay here's a question i ask all my guests if you were in the world of days gone how would you fare and which camp would you end up in? I would end up in Iron Mike's and I'd get killed. The Reapers, the, the Rippers would get us. You know. I I think I would do far worse than I even think I would do. I I you know. Everyone always optimistically says they'd end up at Lost Lake. And I know obviously that's like the best place to be. Um my my answer is I would probably be one of those people in the cars that have to be rescued. Uh, and you know, it's just like yeah. potluck, like which camp Deacon would send you to, or I'd end up like somehow being involved in an ambush camp and being like, you know, just like, I, I want to survive, but I don't agree with what we're doing, but 
I have to go along with it because I want to survive. Like I would just end up somewhere terrible just because I, I need other people to survive. I love those ambush camps because in the middle of the shootout, you'll be in cover and they'll be like, hey, Drifter, why don't we just talk this out? I'm like, that's fucking great. I love that. They always try to like reason with you, give you an out right. where, you know. Well, it's, it's like what you were saying earlier about how everyone's kind of posturing. If you notice the way, I think this is really fucking smart. They'll have like a sniper who's shooting at you. They'll have guys with shotguns or girls. And then they'll have people with like, sticks and sledgehammers and stuff yeah. like that and they'll send the people armed with the melee weapons up to you first and then the people with shotguns and then maybe the sniper and i like to think that they do that because either they're low on ammo and if they can take you out with a stick rather than with a shotgun then it saves them around in their shotgun for the next person they're, they're ambushing yeah. yeah or they're out they're out of ammo completely they don't want to shoot why would they yeah if they can get the job done because they don't know what they're dealing with yet they're like oh someone's yeah. here Send the baseball bat, dude. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, he's dead. Okay. Uh, send two, uh, send one guy with an ax and, you know, lady with a whatever, you know, and, and yeah. My favorite is when they try to throw the Molotov and you shoot them and they burn. Oh, yes. <laughs> they drop Something it on really themselves. sadistic and strange about that. But yeah, you're right. They're trying to conserve um, resources when they do that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and I, they also, I think, are taking the chance that you probably don't have ammo. Which is where they're where the reason comes in. Hey, Drifter, we like your style. Why don't we just talk this out? You're like, they're totally lying to you. But like right. they're going, what tools can we use to mess with this person's head and get this over with as fast as possible without losing a bunch of resources? You know? Love that. I love it when they always promise that they have whiskey as well. Like, we've got whiskey. Have whiskey right, come out. And I'm right. like, oh, do you really? I don't believe you. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have whiskey. They do not. That's a lie. But yeah, it's um, they did a great job of making that world feel consistent and logical, I think. You know? Yeah. So honest answer, how would you fare? Not great. Not great. Because I, I, don't, I don't have any combat experience. I never had to. I just wouldn't. I don't know that it would go well. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know who exactly would come out well on that stuff. So yeah, I'd, be, I'd go to Lost Wake, but see, this is the right way to do. <laughs> Dead, you know. <laughs> you just have to channel your inner Captain Ferris and just, uh, you know, try oh to try God. to be as much of a badass as you can, posture like everybody else. I feel like my posturing would go so far as to get me shot. I wouldn't know where to draw the line. Be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scare this guy because I've done that in real life, and I've, I've been in situations where I, I've been very lucky. But there was one situation in particular where I'm like, I didn't know that that was who I was messing with. That's good that that didn't escalate because uh, that wasn't good. That wasn't that wouldn't have ended well for me. You know that type of thing. Okay, finally, before we wrap up, are there any projects you're currently working on that you can share with us? Ah, uh, what can I share with you? I mean, there's the Callisto Protocol, um, but in terms of everything else that I've got going on, there's a couple of other video games, but I don't know that I've been announced, so I can't say anything. Um, Star Wars is kind of ever-present. There's other stuff, but that's all secret. You know, the thing is, is we can't, it's, we always like, I've had people be like, how come you, you know, I'll never tell anyone what you're up to. I'm like, that's not actually my job. I, I they don't right. like it when, when people announce their projects for them. They, they're not crazy about that. So, um, I will say that I'm doing 
some really fun stuff on the side that's very experimental and R&D based. That's about mm-hmm. as far as I can go, but I'm having a lot of fun with that. We're, we're pushing technology in some really interesting directions to see what we can accomplish. It's very, very hard, but uh, the results are really, really cool. So that sounds very intriguing. And I can't yeah. wait to hear more when it's announced. Indeed. All right. A couple things before we wrap up. You can support the Days Gone podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash 8BitTerror. You can do a one-time contribution or become a member. That's right, you can now support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. There are various levels, each with their own perks and rewards, so please go and check out buymeacoffee.com slash 8BitTerror. And I want to give a big shout out to my members, Miranda Satin, Basics of Pain, Captain Caffeine, Jay Stabby, Obscured by Ink, Hani Okashe, Anton G, Tom Moose, James Guan, Borislav247, Neanderthal Bard, WD Henderson, Dogbone, Passionflower Percussion, Zylock DMB, Bex, Andy, Catherine the Great, and Dandy Denny07. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share so more people can find the show. Sam, this has been absolutely fantastic talking with you and I want to thank you for your time but most of all on behalf of all fans of Days Gone I want to thank you for doing such an incredible job bringing Deacon St. John to life. Oh thank you thank you very much and thank you for um, really diving into what's there because I think uh, I think there's a lot there and thank you for articulating it so well uh, when you discuss it it's really really interesting. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.